Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard, How to Do the Work Masterclass. Last episode, we spoke about the different inner child archetypes that many of us carry with us in our daily habits and patterns. This episode, Jenna and I will explore the role the reactive ego plays during most of our daily interactions as we dive into chapter eight of How to Do the Work, Ego Stories. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Now, we're going to dive in deeper to the ego story. So we first need to discuss what actually is the ego. So the ego, an easy way to think about what our ego is, is quite simply, it's our identity. It is the stories that we tell ourselves endlessly day in and day out about who we are. Our ego maintains narratives that are based in our very real lived experiences, as we've been talking about often way back from childhood. Our ego and all of its stories is in service of our inner child. Everything we spoke about last week, that vulnerable space where all of our creativity lives, our ego believes it is showing up in service of protection, of keeping that inner child safe. However, Our ego is very defensive and very reactive, coming from that space of fear. It is inflexible. It tends to view things as good or bad, and it doesn't actually allow in the changes, the evolutions that come along with being human. The stories that we tell ourselves, we become stuck, and we tell ourselves the same ego stories day in and day out, well into our adulthood. A great way to identify your ego is to notice what you're saying about yourself after using the words I am or I'm. So for example, a really personal example of a very common ego story of, quote, I'm not good enough has really been alive and well for me just in recording this podcast. I'd often find myself comparing myself to Nicole, thinking I'm not good enough or not smart enough or worthy enough to be sitting up here next to someone that millions of you listeners already know and love and respect and really look to. So a couple of weeks ago, I looked at some of the reviews of this podcast and came across a couple that suggest these episodes would be better without a co-host. One saying that the co-host didn't add any value with her, quote, limited personal experience. Now, at first, I watched my ego really flare up in that moment. How could a stranger possibly know my personal experience when they've only just met me? And really only just met me through one podcast episode. So I could feel the ego literally getting protective like it's actually going to war for me. All that happened was I read a single comment from a stranger, my ego affirms it, and kind of creeps in within, I told you so, I told you you're not good enough, Jenna, I told you you're not smart enough. Now, when that ego story is present, the body begins to react with upset. And for me, that looks like distancing myself, doubting myself, questioning myself, nitpicking arguments with my partners, and looking externally for any type of approval or external validation. Now, when these ego stories are strong and present enough, like this one was, I'll then close off my self-expression entirely and begin to retreat like a little turtle back into my protective shell where that inner child can be kept monitored by my ego and kept safe. Thank you for sharing that one, Jenna. The I'm not good enough, the I'm not worthy. Those are really common core ego narratives that I know a lot of us share. Um, I'll share my ego narrative and talk a bit more about it a bit later in the episode. So you'll hear about me and all of the ways that my ego considers me to be not considered each and every day. But first, let's talk a little bit about the state of consciousness that we actually shift into. I like to call it ego consciousness. Any time that we or our ego believes that our identity, now here's the important part, because according to our ego, it's our identity itself, who we are 
often gets fused or merged with our thoughts, our beliefs, our opinions. So when they become attacked, when we meet someone who believes differently than us or who has a different opinion or preference than us, our ego can actually feel itself to be threatened in that moment. So what happens when we shift into what we call ego consciousness? Many of us have moments of emotional reactivity. Looks like screaming, yelling, withdrawing, numbing ourselves. I know for me, I do a little bit of all of those things. I can scream and yell and I can detach and dissociate. It's that emotional reactivity that we shift into when again, our ego or our story about ourself is threatened. It can also, ego consciousness can also look like what we historically call narcissism. Really, it's just a false confidence. When I present myself as bigger or best um, and can't really see anyone else around me, that actually comes from this a state of insecurity, our state of ego-based consciousness. Another marker of knowing when we're in ego consciousness is when we have that black or white thinking that we often see in ourselves. Things are right or wrong. We really can't see any gradation, any gray in the middle. Another really good marker of knowing when you're in ego consciousness is when we shift into an extremely competitive place where we literally feel that another person's success actually prevents us from having that exact same success. Oftentimes, as a result of this state of consciousness, we're left feeling powerless, and many of us are left externalizing or really blaming others and the world around us. Likely all experienced ego consciousness when we get so fixated on being right in an argument with our partner, when we scream and yell in overreaction, or when we fall into believing that someone else's success takes away from our own in some way. Thank you for sharing those really common examples, Jenna. Many of us do shift in and out of this state of ego consciousness, sometimes many times a day even. Another aspect of our ego that we meet on the daily for some of us is what we call our shadow or our shadow self. Really what that is is all of the parts of us, our thoughts, our ideas, our way of being in the world that has been repressed or suppressed, hidden from view. Again, always based on our past experiences, usually ones that have resulted in shame or in environments where we weren't safe to express those sides of ourselves. So back in childhood, say for instance, we come home upset. If we grew up in an environment that couldn't tolerate that upset and we were, say, urged to stop being upset, stop crying, or stop emoting in whatever way we are, what happens usually is we feel shameful. We don't feel accepted. So in order to, of course, avoid that shame, in order to remain connected to those caregivers or that environment, which is actually integral, necessary for our survival in childhood, we stop showing that upset. We stop showing those parts of ourself. However, those parts of ourself never go away. So they kick around in our subconscious until they get what we call projected outward, or essentially until we start to have negative reactions to the people in the world around us. This is a great time to begin to explore what may be going on in a deeper way. So I'll use just a really quick, easy example so that we can understand what I'm talking about. For a very long time when I would scroll online and when this whole social media world became a buzz with dancing in public, I would watch people post videos of themselves dancing in the public eye of the virtual world and I would have this visceral reaction of negativity. I couldn't even describe what I was feeling, just some version of irritated and agitated. Did not like what I was seeing. And for me, that was that moment of projection. Why am I having such a strong reaction to, like Jenna, this human, I don't know. I don't know why they're dancing. I don't know what the point is for them. 
I, however, am having an emotional reaction. That's an example of our shadow. There was something deeper in me, and I'll continue the story a bit later in the episode, though there was something deeper in me in that moment that was being reflected back when I was seeing someone else dance that was causing that deeper reaction. And again, this is a very common experience. Our shadow is always lurking in our subconscious and can be the point from which we're having those big reactions. Right. And like you said, our that shadow is always there, right? It's always lurking. So how do we meet it? How do we discover that shadow? To do so, we're going to go a bit deeper and actually do an exercise that's right in the book, how to do the work. So for those of you who are following along or have the book, this is on page 154. It's an exercise called Meet Your Shadow. To meet your shadow, take some time reflecting on the following prompts or questions. You can also journal these out. I'm going to list them each, and then we're going to dive deeper into one of them here. Questions are, when you have feelings of jealousy, ask yourself, what do I feel the other person, quote, has that I am lacking? How often do you give others advice and why do you give it? Now, there's often clear patterns if you begin to consciously witness yourself. Now, remember, this isn't a place to critique or judge. We're simply witnessing. We're asking ourselves these questions and just witnessing the responses that there are. This is also a space to really be radically honest with yourself. How do you speak about yourself to others? This can help you understand your ego's self-narratives and limiting beliefs. How do you speak about others when they are not around? This question can help you understand your ego's relationship narratives and related inner child wounds or spiritual trauma. So I'm going to use the first prompt on jealousy to tack onto the personal example that I gave earlier with not feeling good enough, comparing myself to Nicole, and so on. This is a really common one. So what do I feel she, quote, has that I am lacking? When I'm in this feeling of jealousy or comparison with Nicole, what is it that I'm thinking she has that I don't have? Now, to answer this, let's rewind a bit to when I first found Nicole on Instagram and really got familiar with her work. So my shadow had me immediately wanting to give up. I remember this day, literally. I looked at her Instagram, got super red and sweaty, and wanted to throw the phone. So I wanted to give up, throw in the towel, stop sharing and teaching, simply because I had found someone else who was out there already doing it, and she had a PhD, and she's a psychologist. So there were these things themselves were what I had been conditioned to view in society as really ultimate authority. I'd hear her read something that she'd post or share, and I'd immediately get hot and sweaty and feel jealous that I didn't say or write at first, or jealous that I wasn't, quote, as qualified to teach as she was. She had all these things that I, on some subconscious level, saw as lacking within myself, things like knowledge, wisdom, articulation, credibility. Now, the truth is that all of these things were and are in me. I wouldn't have been so drawn to her or this work if I also didn't have these same traits, traits that my ego was telling me through its stories, like I'm not good enough, traits that it told me I didn't have. When doing reflections like these, it's helpful to look at the people we hold on a pedestal or the people we admire. So in my case, someone I held on a pedestal with an authority figure was Nicole. We need to understand that we admire these parts of them because they are underdeveloped or unacknowledged parts within ourselves. They're already within you. That's what drew you to them. So how do I cultivate that knowledge, wisdom, articulation, etc.? How do I cultivate all of those traits that I saw in Nicole? How do I do that within myself? I do that by continuing to show up 
and continuing to express my truest and most authentic self. I need to do the work to show up, to show up and sit here on this podcast, to speak to each of you, to express my true self. Each time I do, I begin to uncover and strengthen each of these traits within myself. Such a beautiful example and such a beautiful truth, really, that Jenna, you're sharing here, which is that when we have these moments of jealousy, of wishing that we had something someone else has, we have those same things within ourselves. What an amazingly powerful truth. Though how do we begin then to shift from the belief that we don't and all of the very understandable that reactivity that comes from that place into that place of acceptance, of realization. We want to teach ourselves how to shift from ego consciousness, essentially, into what we call empowerment consciousness. And this happens as we first become more and more aware and create more and more separation of between ourselves and our ego and all of its stories. In that space, we can begin over time to make choices that now do align with that authentic self within, with those gifts within. In the moment, however, and the reason why we talk about ego consciousness as a state of consciousness is because our body actually does have a reaction. Oftentimes we do go into that flight, flight, or freeze mode of our nervous system. We are actually reacting, like we talked about a few minutes ago, from a threat-based response system, which is governed by our nervous system. So those of you who have been following along on this journey or have been reading the book, How to Do the Work, have heard all about our nervous system by now and how important regulating our nervous system is. So when Jenna and I talk about this space and making these new choices that are in alignment with our true self, the first part or the first step in that direction is to, for many of us, calm down that nervous system response, is to do that deep belly breathing. For some of us, that means to take the time away from the activating event so that we can actually calm our nervous system, again, increasing that space so that over time, we can begin to make those conscious choices that are more in service of who we are. So from my own personal experience, one of my most common narratives that my ego offers really all of the time, it's always at the ready, is this idea that I'm not considered. Now, I can be not considered when my partner doesn't respond to a text or when there's dishes left out on the table. Anything and everything in my environment can trigger or can activate my ego into that narrative story. Now, of course, if I believe that I'm not considered in that moment, I can end up feeling like crap. My body, however, is going to react from that threat-based place. So over time, what I can do from my conscious mind is begin to be the observer. See in real time as I see that dish or as my text goes unresponded, I can feel my body's activation and begin to calm it in that space before then I can make a new choice. And these new choices are very important for most of us because I know for me those older reactions when historically I would scream, I would yell, I would ice my partner because they didn't respond to me. That made me feel like crap. That's not what I actually meant in those moments. So as we shift from ego reactivity into empowerment consciousness, many of us can relieve ourselves of all of the shame that we carry around those older emotional overreactions. 
I want to share with you all a great mantra for when you're witnessing yourself going through these ego stories. So when you're in that ego reactivity, how do we go into empowerment consciousness? This mantra will help ground you and return you to that empowerment consciousness to take you out of reactivity. So just so everyone understands, empowerment consciousness, as we just mentioned, is where we are able to make choices beyond all of those stories that the ego is telling us. So beyond the you're not good enough or smart enough or worthy enough. So let's pause and do this together. Take a deep inhale wherever you are and then say to yourself, today I am calm and grounded in peace. So we're going to do this together. I like to place my hand on my heart whenever I do these mantras. Take a deep inhale. Hold. Today I am calm and grounded in peace. Exhale. And you want to practice really feeling that peace throughout your body. This is actually a nervous system reset, and with practice, you'll feel this more and more within your mind and body. Thank you, Jenna. That's an incredibly helpful practice that we can all benefit from engaging with consistently, right? This is the moment where we can't just wait until our ego is all flared up, until we're spiraling in our reaction to even try to remember this very helpful mantra and this very helpful practice. We want to get good and consistent practicing this all of the time so that in those moments we can A, remember that we now have a new tool and B, implement it, use it, and actually get that calming of our nervous system that we're looking for. So just real simply to break ego work into two steps. The first step is we want to meet our ego. Like Jenna offered earlier, begin to pay attention. Every time you hear, think, say the words I'm, notice. You'll start to notice some patterns, some, some narratives, some stories that your ego consistently tells you about yourself. Some of us might know exactly where those stories came from. Others might not. It doesn't matter in either direction. What matters is creating that separation. Know, though, as many of us begin to meet our ego, begin to pay attention to ourself, our inner voices in this new way, as all things that are new, it can be uncomfortable. It will be unfamiliar. Some of our egos don't even like to be seen in this way and can offer resistance. Know that as all things that are unfamiliar, they're new. And the newness seeing our ego can help us create that separation. So the first step is we just want to witness our ego as it exists in our lives generally. And then we want to witness our ego when it becomes activated. So for this step, I came up with a suggestion, and I've actually done so myself, the suggestion being to name your ego. Um, I find it's really helpful to name your ego. My ego's name happens to be Jessica. Um, the idea behind naming your ego is creating separation. So when I see my ego in action, and I'm going to tell you, Jessica can be a handful. Again, this is where we can feel very shameful or judgmental of the things that Jessica is doing. By naming it a different name than Nicole, I can already show myself, Nicole, that this part of me is separate from me. Of course, it's very real. It is based in my very real past experiences, though it's not who I am. It's a state of reactivity that we're going to try to expand beyond. I want to notice those moments in my daily life, and there are many, where Jessica is having an idea, is having a feeling, is having a flare-up. Notice really simply when we have a big feeling based on something that's happening. Big feelings are usually evidence of an ego reaction. Other times to notice, like we talked about earlier, are when, is when our shadow is being projected. When we're having negative feelings or when we're thinking negative thoughts about someone else or something else. Have a look. 
And like Jenna offered earlier, this is where it's really important and difficult to be honest. For me, I had to get past that negative initial reaction I had to all of those other humans dancing to be able to explore what it was about me that was coming up. Because initially, like many of us do, I assumed it was something they were doing. Of course, I was having a negative reaction. Look how they're presenting themselves. So being real honest is really, really important. I had to peel that back and say, wait a minute, or at least become curious to the possibility that maybe it's not about them at all. Maybe their dancing, for my example, is causing a feeling in me. And when I really dove in in a very honest way to explore for me where that feeling was coming from, I found it came from a childhood where I too attempted to dance and I didn't feel comfortable in my body. I also didn't feel like I was very good at dancing. So those of you who are aware of one of my inner child archetypes, the overachiever knows that not being the best at something was never comfortable for my inner child. So before I knew it, dancing or putting my body on display like that and not being the best was one of the most shameful things that my inner child could experience. So what I, what did I do? I made sure that there was no way that my little self would feel that again until, of course, I saw someone else dancing on Instagram. So again, ending here by really reiterating how important throughout all of this ego work, honesty is. Being really honest and looking within to see if there's a reason for that big feeling in response to something in my environment or sometimes someone else. This is a really great tip or suggestion that you teach Nicole in how to do the work. That's really the practice of just naming our ego. So creating that separation between ourselves and ego. We really have loved reading all of the names that people choose in this community. Some have shared them with us on social media, and it really brings about a humor and a lightness to all of this. So we really do suggest naming your ego, having a little fun with it, and really creating that separation and knowing that ego is not you. It's just something that's there separate from you. For me, that was one of the, the most life-changing re realizations is first, it was just an idea. My ego is not me. Um, and then it was really able to evolve into a belief, a reality where I was actually able to tune into, yes, in those moments, those feelings do feel very real, though they're not coming from that deeper intuitive place, that sense of awareness, who I really am. My ego, like all things in my thinking mind, is just a stream of thoughts. However, we become so merged with those thoughts that like we were talking about, when they're threatened, we become threatened. So we want to pull back. We want to cultivate that space to empower ourselves to always, to the best of our ability, show up in our conscious mind and begin to make conscious choices, ones that are more aligned with ourself and our authentic needs. So going back to my prime ego story, my core narrative of being not considered. So back to those examples, whether it's the unanswered text or the dishes left out, in that moment, once I'm able to calm my nervous system's reaction and make space for what's happening in that moment and diving down for me, what I, what I came to witness in all areas of my life was the consistency in which I actually never consider myself. I don't consider my own thoughts. I don't consider my own needs. I don't consider my own wants. For a very long time, all I considered was the world around me, what everyone else or what I imagined everyone else needed of me. 
So in that moment, the deepest work is, yes, to not react in those old ways from those wounded places. The deepest work, using my example, is to learn how to meet that core need, learn how to identify what's really happening in the moment. Am I having a need that's unmet? Do I need rest? Do I need a clean environment? Can I show up now in service of myself? Can I essentially consider myself in these moments and more generally overall? Something really important and helpful to remember here, again, is that the ego really is our friend. Now, I know what some of you listening might be thinking, well, how can a friend who's repeating these constant stories and constant thoughts that seem to be negative, how could a friend do that? Now, our ego is really trying to keep us safe. Its goal is to protect us and to shelter us, which for the ego means patterns of familiar or things that it can predict, which is why you see that cycle and that thought loop or that story over and over. If it's familiar, it's comfortable in it. It knows it. So therefore, that makes it safe. That's why these stories are so repetitive and they create the same predictable behaviors and responses. So as you're reading how to do the work and you start to do the work to become more aware of your ego and as you're in the process of becoming more aware of your ego, you might notice yourself getting really frustrated. It's helpful to just continue to witness the ego as separate from who you are and just allow it. So like we were saying earlier, as Nicole gives this tip of naming your ego. So Nicole's ego's name is Jessica. I don't think I have a name for mine. Maybe we'll call her Rachel. So Rachel, this ego is not me. I have it. Rachel's definitely with me, but she's not me. So I'm able to notice myself as separate. So the point here is really just to witness the separation and allow it. We're not judging it or critiquing it. We're simply just a observing and allowing it. The more you practice becoming separate from your ego, the more I practice acknowledging and being separate from Rachel, the more the ego will soften from that space of protection and reactivity. Practice is is so incredibly important. And here's where I also offer the reality that none of this work is linear. Um, I shift in and out of ego consciousness still. And for me, I notice that when my resources are low, when I'm not eating well, when I'm not sleeping well, or when stress is just high overall, that's when I'm more likely to shift into that ego state of consciousness. Like Jenna said, anytime we're doing something new or unfamiliar, we're actually taxing literally our brain as an organ We're taxing our brain more. We need more calories. It does translate into, I feel more tired. And again, when our resources are low, to be able to shift from the ego state of consciousness, which generally consumes less calories or resources, into that more conscious mind for empowerment-based consciousness, it is exhausting. And sometimes we can't. So on those days, for me, I notice weeks of not sleeping well, weeks where I'm stressed out about whatever it might be. Sometimes it's only just my stress in my own internal world. That's when Jessica gets loud. And that's when Jessica can likely have a tantrum. So this also highlights the importance of that self-care, of really dropping into the body and making sure that we do have the resources to show up as we want to, to show up in alignment with our authentic selves. Because when we don't, our ego will be right there with those memorized reactions. So shifting now, we have two really, really helpful questions. First of which is coming in from Jennifer. Hi, Dr. Nicole and Jenna. Um, it's lovely to ask you a question. Um, my question about, I'm, I'm, my name is Jennifer. I'm in Eugene, Oregon. And I'm not sure if this applies, but my question about ego right in this very moment, um, I'm curious what advice you might have on detaching it 
are relating it to loneliness. I'm really struggling with that right now through everything I'm doing. I'm just having a hard time connecting with my typical people, which I, I do understand seems to be part of the process. But I, I feel like I'm in an ego story right now, making myself more lonely than I really am. And that, well, if they, they being my friends, you know, if they wanted to hang out, maybe they'd pick up the phone and call. But in reality, I think they just sense that I'm different and they don't. But I don't know if that's true. And I just feel like I'm making it worse than it is. And I'm in my ego. So that's where I'm at. And if you have any advice on that, I sure would appreciate it. Thanks for all that you guys do. You're amazing. Bye. Thank you, Jennifer. So Jennifer's question here is essentially about possible ego stories and the related feelings that can often come up during healing. So really, Jennifer is wondering if her ego is creating these stories of loneliness and disconnection. So one thing about the ego that I definitely know for sure is that the ego does love to separate us. It loves to make an us versus them situation, really highlighting the differences between people as opposed to the similarities. So loneliness, loneliness as a concept actually comes from perceived isolation. And a lot of times as we begin to heal, like Jennifer acknowledged, you know, it being quite common, those of you in the circle or in the community probably have heard of others experience this kind of loneliness before. And a lot of times it, it comes as we heal because we begin to realize first and foremost how disconnected we are from others. And usually that disconnect comes first from being disconnected to ourself. So when we drop in and begin to you know, come into the awareness of all of these ways that we are not authentically connected to ourselves, and then therefore others, loneliness is really common. We do begin, and I did in my own journey, I began to reevaluate a lot of my relationships. I began to, from my conscious awareness, explore how I felt during these experiences, what I thought about, and how I felt when I left them. And what I came to realize is that a lot of my relationships didn't have the space at that time for me to show up as my authentic self. And as a result, very similar to Jennifer, I too felt a sense of loneliness. So for me, the journey then was finding myself into more authentic relationships, whether that was modifying the current relationships I was in so that as I showed up more authentically and presented myself to others, that loneliness could go away because I could actually feel that connection or that space. Or I forge new relationships. We'll talk a lot um, as we near the end of the book. There's a whole chapter on interdependence, and we'll talk a lot more about this in my own journey into finding those authentic relationships. Though, back to Jennifer's question. The ego itself definitely loves to separate, and loneliness can come from that separation, and it can also come from that disconnection, from the reality that so many of us aren't really fully authentically connected to ourselves and the world around us. Now, you share in your question, Jennifer, thank you for calling in, by the way, that you're, you know, I'm different or I'm lonely. And while it's helpful to identify those ego stories, it also can be helpful here to not focus on what is or isn't an ego story because there's actually truth in what you're experiencing, right? This is actually happening. So you're changing on your healing journey and that's shifting and changing your relationships. Those things are happening. So we can also honor that this is happening and really release the need to know exactly 
what your friends are thinking or why your friends aren't calling and instead focus on what you, Jennifer, are actually feeling. Are you missing them? Are you actually feeling relief? Are you becoming aware that there may not have been an actual connection there to begin with? All of these interactions will help you as you go through the process. So really, this is a moment to take space to ask yourself those questions. As Nicole mentioned, that disconnection is often first, most of the time, a disconnection from ourselves. So instead of asking why our friends aren't calling, start getting reflective with yourself and asking yourself those questions about how you really feel. Are you feeling relieved? You are shifting and changing on your journey. Maybe some of those relationships weren't aligned. So really, it's a space to have compassion and a lot of self-exploration. And I just want to offer here, too, there's also the possibility that you come to the conclusion that you do want to pursue those connections with those people. And here's the opportunity then to actualize that on your own, to pick up the phone, to make the call. It might feel very vulnerable to do that because the ego often does like to convince us that other people can mind read, can understand what we want and what we need in any given moment, and they can't. So there's also the possibility that at the end of this exploration for Jennifer or someone else out there who has a similar question, that you might come to the awareness that you do want to continue to pursue these relationships in alignment, then you can act from that place. You might be the one that picks up the phone or that initiates that next contact. So one more final question we have coming in. Hello, first of all, thank you so much for doing this and helping people. I really appreciate it. Um, my question is, is ego, like the voice I have that represents ego and all of these feelings, the same as my inner child? Um, why do I say this? Because I often feel that my ego is just like things I repressed or like they're related with certain things that I never paid attention with. And I often have this energy linked to it that it feels like a little kid. Like if a little kid, you know, somebody promised them to give them candy and then at some point they actually never got the candy and they are like, angry and annoyed and they don't really know how to deal with these emotions and my higher self and me are supposed to help that little kid you know deal with those things and if if give the kid a lot of love a lot of compassion a lot of understanding and help um, them feel better um, I don't know if ego and my inner child are the same, or if I'm actually confusing the two, uh, if I'm just talking with my inner child or my ego. Um, I will obviously try to do work on my own to find out, but I would love it if you could um, just give some advice. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. I want to thank that caller. I did not get their name for that question. Um, a question essentially about ego reactivity. Um, talking about our ego or describing the ego like an angry child that can be overwhelmed with emotions, which is a pretty accurate way to describe it. 
And when we think about the ego, we have to acknowledge essentially its developmental age. For many of us, our ego and all of its stories were created in childhood. So there is an emotional immaturity about our ego or about that ego state of consciousness. I like to refer to them as ego tantrums. And I know Jessica likes to have her fair share of them um, when she likes to oftentimes scream, yell, sometimes even slam a door or two. Oftentimes when I'm yelling, I'm yelling things that I don't mean, that she doesn't mean in that moment. On the other side of that, Jessica has also been known to storm away, to stomp away, to ice, to not speak to someone that she's upset with in that moment. So I'll be the first to admit that Jessica still makes appearances. Like I was saying earlier, when my resources are low, that childlike part of me, those tantrums, can come out. So to clarify um, at the end of the question, whether or not the ego and the inner child are the same. So like we were speaking about earlier, the ego, the story about who we are is essentially our protection of our inner child. It's the way that we keep that very vulnerable space safe from those earliest hurts, those shames or those discomforts. So the ego essentially protects our inner child. So what we can do is exactly what you said within your question, to continue to love and to give compassion to this part of yourself. So that that really is itself in the work. And I want to acknowledge this caller for already saying that within your question, you knew to give that love, to give that compassion. So that work really is to just witness yourself, witness this part of yourself, in this caller's case, that angry, hurt child who didn't get the candy, and to really be loving and understanding rather than judging or shaming or trying to hide this part of ourself. Instead, we want to bring love and compassion to that hurt, angry child who's tantruming or to Jessica or Rachel who's tantruming over not getting that candy. Such an important point here, which is to give compassion, to accept the ego as the protector, playing the role that it's played for many of us, keeping us in those familiar habits and patterns so that we don't have to revisit those really early painful experiences that most of us have had. Compassion for our ego is so important. And I say this because I do see a lot of times when ego work is talked about, a lot of people do have this idea that the ego is a bad thing or should be avoided or powered away at all costs. And that's just simply not the reality. Our ego can and will continue to show up and an area that it will likely continue to show up. And we'll talk more about this area next week is relationships. When we dive in to chapter nine on trauma bonds. Mm-hmm.